You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we've got to talk about USC's extremely disappointing loss, a collapse uh, for the second time this season in the Cotton Bowl. Not the second time they lost the Cotton Bowl. The second time they lost in the same exact fashion or almost the same exact fashion. We're going to talk about that with a special guest. we got Shotgun Spratling joining us all the way from the East Coast. I just got back uh, early this morning. From Dallas, I'm back in the studio. We wanted to get Shotgun on because Chris is traveling down to San Antonio to cover the uh, All-American Bowl, the high school recruiting event down there. So he'll be there. So Shotgun and I are going to have a little podcast together talking about the game, a 46-45 loss to the Tulane Green Wave in the 87th uh, Cotton Bowl Classic. I almost said Rose Bowl Classic. If you have any questions or comments for the show, and we got a lot of them today, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com is our email address, or you can call us or send us a text, and the number's the same, 424-254-9141. And we do appreciate if you have the Apple Podcasting app and would like to leave us a five-star rating or review. That is always awesome. We appreciate it very much. Um, yeah, we had a we had one five-star review from Toodle S that says, excellent. Uh, great job. Love the content. Love the two-star composite recruiting podcast. Been listening to the Peristyle podcast for 15 years and just found out how to write a review about it. Thanks and fight on. Well, thanks for learning out how to write a review and happy new year to everybody and happy new year to my partner in crime here for the podcast today, Shotgun Spratling. Follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. Shotty, how you doing, man? Hanging in there. You know, it's a, it's a long night. Uh, you know, even though the game was early, there was a lot of work to be done. I uh, really uh, want to thank our staff. Did a, did a ton of work uh, after the game. And unfortunately for the fans, uh, you know, they, they're hate reading a lot of it right now because uh, of the way the game turned out. But uh, our staff did, you know, excellent work throughout the entire season. So I want to give them a little bit of love. Um, but, you know, recovering a little bit from it, you know, that's kind of what happens on the final day of the season is you kind of you get through it. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, okay, now we start the next season because there's no real, there's no real off season. You know, it just starts, uh, you know, start looking at, you know, the all-star games. You start looking at the transfer portal and how can this USC team get better? Because they obviously still need to get a lot better. For sure. And we'll be covering all of that. Like I said, Chris is down at the uh, All-American Bowl. I'll be going. I'm going to sacrifice, Shadi, a couple of weeks. How about to Hawaii? for the uh, Polynesian Bowl, which is also fun. I love covering that one. Uh, Jared's going to be coming out with me. So a lot of USC targets or signees will be there. So that'll be fun. So we'll be covering all that. And, of course, the portal, like you mentioned, that's going on. And trying to get better um, because this was uh, uh, certainly a winnable game. And I don't know if the analogy of the, the Salt Lake City game 
where USC led or was tied the entire time. And then in the final minute, that's the only time that you're behind. And uh, to have this happen twice, I, I was doing Pac-12 radio this morning, and it was sort of like, for that Utah game, a whole bunch of crap had to go wrong, shoddy, for USC to lose, in my opinion. And then in the Tulane game, down the stretch, a whole bunch of stuff had to go wrong again. Uh, it's like flipping a coin, like, okay, you got to flip a coin heads 10 times in a row. It can happen. Um but it's not very, you know, it's not very likely. And it seemed like two games this year, two of the three games, that's what happened is that a whole bunch of events where some are, you know, uh, great plays by an opponent, but some are self-inflicted wounds. All those had to happen, you know, all together, consecutively for USC to lose. And I don't know if you feel that way, but that's, that's, that's the feeling I got being in the press box yesterday watching that game. Well, I felt like more like the Salt Lake City game was you felt like those the the plays the, the the calls that didn't go USC's way really swayed the momentum of the game, and then the momentum really drove Utah. Whereas in this game, it was just the mistakes that USC made, and it wasn't just in the fourth quarter. You know, you think back to some of those times where it's like, oh, they're so close to connecting on that pass. You know, you go back to Taj Washington, the catch he makes. And he, you know, he makes the catch right at the pylon. It's ruled a completion initially. Uh, you know, they review it and it gets overturned. Later on that drive, they don't score a touchdown. So, you, you know, I think that was the drive that they ended up trying for a field goal, and uh, you know, it being fifty the fifty-two yarder that was short. Um, you know, there's several of those situations where they were just this close, but they weren't connecting, and that's making that tackle. You know, when you're you're just that short of you know stopping them on third down to get off the field. Instead, you miss the tackle and they, they uh, continue. So I thought it was more, you know, USC, you know, against Utah, that one was just back and forth shootout. And, you know, USC was playing really well, um, but, you know, they just weren't stopping Utah at all. I thought this, in the Tulane game, USC was much more self-inflicted necessarily than the Salt Lake City game. And it just culminated in that final four and a half minutes where you decide – it's third. I, I'm trying to look it up real quick, but you know, it's it, third and ten. I want to say third and eight, something like that. Um, and they run it. They spread out and empty. They run a quick out to Mario Williams, and he picks up a few yards. And you go, okay, it's fourth and three, and they decide to kick the field goal. Um, and you kind of wonder, okay, why? Why did you? You know, why did you run that specific play? It was third and nine. Uh, and you run a five-yard out. Why did you run that specific play with how much success they've had with Caleb Williams creating? Um, you know, on longer developing plays and stuff. Why did you decide to run a quick out to Mario Williams to pick up five yards if you weren't going to then go for a fourth down? So that was kind of a little bit head scratching there. Why are you not trying to really pick up that that third the the first down on that third nine play? It just felt like that was a you know a uh, a situation where you're calling a play when you feel like you got two two downs to to pick up the first down. So instead they kicked the field goal. They had no issue with them kicking the field goal. I know some people did. But I, I think it makes sense to go up by 15. Now you get you two touchdowns up plus a two-point conversion, and that's huge. You saw that Tulane tried to get the two-point conversion earlier. They stopped it. You know, It just puts that much more pressure on one individual play if Tulane can score twice on you. But instead, it doesn't take them any time to score on, on USC's defense. You know, what was it, 16 seconds, 19 seconds, whatever it was. Uh, I think it was 17 seconds, two to plays. To give up a touchdown in two plays. You know, a 59-yard completion and then, uh, you know, an immediate score. That was after a, you know, a pretty long return, too, on the the kickoff return. Uh, so it, within three snaps, USC has given up a touchdown. 
which is whatever. You still can kill the clock. And, you know, because I, I thought it was really interesting, and you mentioned it, the, the timeout strategy by Willie Fritz on Tulane's side. Um, before that third and nine play, there had been two consecutive timeouts. So USC had time to decide what they want to do on that third and nine as well. But I thought it was an interesting strategy with over five minutes left. You don't usually see that. But at that 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 point on the field, I thought it was a great idea to be like, this is super important to try to force some negative yardage or to just try to keep USC out of the end zone and stay within two scores. Let's make sure we get the best play possible and we'll stop the clock on each one of these. And it ends up working out for Tulane, but they only have one timeout. So if USC can get the ball, run a couple plays, you're gonna get you know you're gonna force them to to get the ball back with you know probably a minute and a half at max. Now that you know obviously they were able to score in that time frame pretty easily in other times, but you're putting a lot of pressure. And this is actually the same situation basically that Tulane was in last year against Oklahoma in the season opener. They rallied back and were within a score. Um, and you know they were driving with the ball, and Oklahoma got off the field on fourth down. They created a, you know an incompletion, I believe it was, and got off the field. USC twice has that opportunity on fourth downs. It can't get off the field, but it all stems back to the safety that all started because of a terrible decision to field a kick right at the you know right at the edge of the goal line uh, to whether. It could have either gone out of bounds, it could have gone into the end zone for a touchback. Instead, call for the fair catch. And, you know, it makes you wonder that they not want Relique Brown back there because of what happened, uh, was it UCLA, I believe it was, where they had him call for a fair catch and he dropped it. And then they had the ball at the five-yard line. So they said, hey, let's put Mario Williams back there. He's a little bit more experienced. And he drops it. So, you know, USC just killing itself over and over. Um, you, you know, you can make – you can make some arguments and you be upset about some of the play calls and stuff, but really it comes down to execution too. Um, you know, the, the coaches, the, the play calls of defense weren't great, but the play calls in offense about the, the runs up the middle and whatnot, you know, USC has been able to run the ball pretty successfully consistently with Austin Jones in this game, even though they weren't getting a lot of yards, they were getting pretty much three, four yards, Almost every carry, it felt like. It felt like it was really surprising to me when I looked at Austin Jones' stats as the game progressed. I'm like, why does he not have more yards? Because the offensive line is getting a push, but he's not making that first guy uh, miss and then creating, turning those three, four yard gains into eight to 10 yard gains like Travis Dye was so consistently doing and like Austin Jones had done throughout the season. But, uh, you know, give credit to Tulane secondary defenders. Dorian Williams wins the defensive MVP because he had 17 tackles. At wow. the end of the at the end of the first half, I think he had 11 and USC had like 21 total. Or USC had 17 total, I think it was, because there was such a discrepancy in the number of plays. So there's no excuses for USC being tired on defense or anything like that. You know, they had, And that's another thing. If they get the ball at a normal spot on the field, you got to assume that that Tulane defense is tired. If you can pick up one first down, you just take the entire gas out of them as well. But – the uh, the special teams blunder sets them up for for disaster and disaster happened and that was the the common theme for them in that last four and a half minutes their mistakes set them up for disaster and those disasters came to fruition yeah well a lot to unpack there shoddy good thing I'm taking notes um <laughs> so we did we're gonna get to a lot of questions later and I want to before we, we we start jumping to this I do want to thank our sponsor Trader Joe's who's back for another year uh, sponsoring the podcast. And uh, it's been great. Love the relationship uh, with them. 
and uh, it's been a, a whole lot of fun, and I'm very excited that we get to uh, uh, you know talk about Trader Joe's. I didn't, you know, because I was traveling, I didn't get to go to the uh, the Rose Parade this year. I guess I didn't even think about it, Shotty, but like we would go through Trader Joe's, and they've got their uh, float. My mom sent me a picture of the Trader Joe's float from the uh, Rose Bowl Parade. And I was wondering, I'm like, oh, I might not be able to go to that very much anymore because USC is probably going to be playing in games unless they're playing in the Rose Bowl, you know. Um, but before, it didn't. that wasn't an issue. <laughs> I could just go to the Rose Parade because USC wasn't playing on New Year's Day. But I want to thank Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been awesome to us. Make sure you go over to TraderJoe's.com. They got a cool podcast, too. It's short. They got some interesting stuff there. Uh, Post-holiday, if you want to get some healthier options, they have a lot of that there. If you have some New Year's resolutions or anything like that, but make sure you get over to Trader Joe's and uh, check it all out. But we're so we're going to get the questions and everything uh, later in the show. Some people have brought up the play calling shotgun, and I, to me, I don't have much of an issue with any. I can't really blame anything on the offensive side because you could. To me, it'd be nit, nitpicky. Um, they end up with a field goal on that drive, like you said, 15 points makes, you know, makes a lot of sense. But, you know, Caleb Williams, 462 passing yards, uh, five touchdowns. They never punted. Uh, they never turned it over on downs. I brought that up to Caleb Williams after the game. And I before I, I was saying turnover on downs and he said, no, I had a turnover. So he remember he he was thinking about the interception um, and I wasn't talking about that. But that was the one play they didn't, uh, you know, have a scoring attempt at the end of their their drive. And if you only do that once. Um, I mean, it's hard to kind of, uh, you know, nitpick that much, but the play discrepancy, you know, nearly 40 minutes of, um, time of possession, uh, for USC 39, um, 49, 84 offensive plays to 52. So USC ran 84 offensive plays and had 594 yards. Tulane had 52 offensive plays and had 539 yards, um, the, the weirdest stat maybe I've ever seen, or just at least recently, the fact that uh, Michael Pratt, the quarterback for Tulane, eight completions. He was eight of 18. You're like, oh, they suck. Well, he threw for 234 yards, 29.2 yards per completion, if you like that advanced stat stuff. Insane. So st- started with the play calling stuff. I get it. But, like, I just not – I feel like you're, you know – Someone dumped toxic waste all over your Thanksgiving meal, and you're like, my dinner fork is a little dirty. You know, it's like, it, it, to me, it's just like, I'm not going to complain about play calling when the defense and special teams were so, so, so bad. Yeah, Pratt uh, throwing for almost 30 yards of completion reminds you, like, it, it, is this the Georgia Tech uh, triple option uh, offense, or is this Air Force <laughs> or Navy? Like, you know, the the only time they throw it, it's to chuck it downfield. Um, but, you know, he didn't even... It wasn't like he was throwing the ball deep either. It was, you know, the majority of his throws are 10 to 15 yards and just completion and run after catch. Uh, USC just not making tackles, not being in place to make plays. And it makes you actually wonder when you talk about that time of possession, did Lincoln Riley go into the game feeling like, I don't know that we can stop these guys because, you know, the way that they just methodically ground out the time uh, in those first couple of drives you know, we're very, you know, we're, we're very taking their time with everything. They were very methodical about it. Uh, did, did they think, you know, we just don't have the right answer for the, their rushing attack or whatever it may be. Um, they obviously didn't on defense, but that maybe that was part of it going into it, which then you then would question, okay, why did he have so much confidence in his defense to be able to make the stops late? Um, you know, when he kicks off and, you know, you're, 
you're playing against the clock. I know some people have mentioned maybe you should use the timeouts because the defense wasn't going to stop anybody. Uh, it's hard. That's a hard, hard decision then to make. But yeah, on the offensive side, you can't really complain about anything. I thought the offensive line played pretty well, considering especially you know halfway through they lost Bobby Haskins again. So you know you end up getting a true in that fourth quarter. You got a true vision of what the offensive line was going to look like next year. Uh, or at least uh, you know an indicator. Now, obviously, they're adding some pieces. They got Michael Tarquin is going to be coming in, the transfer from Florida. They got some uh, freshmen coming in. But you got an idea what the offensive line looked like, and I thought it, for the first three quarters looked pretty good. I was uh, a little bit surprised at how solid they were, uh, keeping Caleb Williams up, creating some holes in the running uh, uh, or the run game, and then the fourth quarter. You know, when they had another backup in there, there was a little bit uh, less push, you know, without Bobby Haskins in there. And you saw that, you know, that most notably on on the two uh, plays at the goal line. But, you know, I, I thought the offense line should get credit outside of those two plays down at the goal line. I thought they were pretty good. And just the, the receiving core, so many guys stepping up. And, you know, Caleb Williams, just whoever's out there, he didn't care who it was. He wasn't looking for a particular receiver. He was just looking for someone in a red jersey, and there were a number of them. I think it was uh, 10 different guys, 12 different guys had uh, had catches or were targeted in the game, and uh, 11 of them had catches, I think it was. So, you know, a little bit of every everyone getting a piece uh, of the action out there, including Brendan Rice having a monster game, and he came up with some huge catches. And it's a good thing that he didn't listen to all the USC fans that wanted to quit earlier in the season, you know, when he had a couple drops. So, you know, he had six catches for 174 yards and two touchdowns. You know, he was spectacular in this game. So a lot of positives on the offensive side, obviously, but it wasn't enough because defense and special teams are the other two thirds of the game. Yeah. Huge, a huge, a huge portion of the game. Um, you mentioned the timeout strategy. I tweeted about this and I thought it was, Brilliant. I mean, I I feel like Willie Fritz looked at it, the best way we can win this game is if USC is in a second and long, we have to call timeout now. And even though there's more than five minutes left in the game, because we need to score and then we need to get the ball back and score. So we need to save the time. It's a risk. Like you could say, well, now you waste all your timeouts. USC just picked up a first down and now you're screwed. But they looked at it as like, if we don't stop USC on this drive, we're not winning. And so, and that's why I felt like Lincoln Riley could have called in the, the end of the, the Utah game. Uh, preserve time at the end, not waiting for a stop. Like, what's your best chance to win? Getting the offense back on the field. And so I felt like that was, yeah, it wasn't a no-brainer call, but it was the right call there. Um, the safety I want to talk about, because if you remember, like, when um, a lot of the bad decisions in USC's administration over the years and bad decisions by USC coaching staff, um, you know, when – Clay Helton brings in Graham Harrell, but also has um, Tim Drevno as the offensive line coach. And we're in the very beginning. We're like, you have a spread guy, you know, an air raid kind of guy and a, like power offensive, you know, offensive coordinator and then a power offensive line coach. Like that doesn't really make much sense. And then later on, when you have to make a move, you're like, oh, yeah, well, it wasn't hindsight. We had said that from the very beginning. I've been saying all year, like, stop returning the kickoffs. Like, it's just hurting you. It's not helping at all. There wasn't a single big, you know, touchdown kickoff return all year, but many, many, many that were stopped you know, inside the, the 25. And I need to look to see how many were yesterday because I think the second drive of the game, 95-yard drive, kickoff issues. Um, you know, the Rayleigh Brown running sideways on one of the kickoff returns. Uh, I think that was maybe that, maybe that was that one. Uh, even the last – 
you know, when USC has a trying to get the ball back with just a few seconds left, screwed up that field. USC started the 11 instead of the 25. Like, um, and you, you don't have any time left to do anything. Obviously, getting the ball on your own one on a kickoff is inexcusable. And but we've seen this over and over again. I, I tweeted earlier in the game before that happened. Don't return kickoffs. Fair catch. You know, take a knee. Not, yeah, but it. he tried to fair catch. <laughs> so like, you got to at least be able to execute catching the ball. Yeah. Like well, even if you're going to do the thing that you've asked them to do, like you still got to catch the ball. They've done this. They did it against UCLA when Malik Brown dropped the ball. Like if you're going to call for fair catch, you still got to catch the ball. Like these simple things that they just it, like. How are so many simple things being messed up on the kickoff return unit yeah. in particular? Now, the the one the time if you're before within that, like a foot of the sideline, don't catch the ball. You know, just simple things. You know, and you then you wonder, okay, they put Mario Williams in. Did they put him in just a fair catch? How much practice has he had? He hasn't been back as the primary returner in a long time, if at all, this season. I know he's been the secondary returner at times, but. You know, since he's been injured, has he been the primary returner at all? How much practice has he been there? Like, there's a lot of questions that then come with that, that you decide to throw this person in who are also already has, you know, a, a significant drop in uh, as a receiver to throw him in there instead of Relique Brown. Now, Relique Brown, the time before that, had tried to return the kick, and there have been multiple penalties on USC, and that's when they end up, you know, I think on the three-yard line or something like that. He also was there was also a face mask and probably a hit out of bounds in that play, but they only called two of the four fouls and they both went to Tulane side. Uh, so there there are definitely issues with the kickoff, but catch the ball. I mean, it's the simple thing. If you're going to call that fair catch, you got to catch the ball. You do yet, tweet, touch it, the it, ball a lot, which makes sense that they, they needed that. <laughs> that. It usually helps. Caleb Williams' numbers would have been even greater. Oh. If he would have had he would have had uh, you know a five, high in that he would have five hundred yards. Yeah, he, he finished eight yards shy of his career high, which was against UCLA. Um, and he had, you know, there were multiple drops in that game. Uh, looking at the the drive chart, it looks like there were four times that USC started within their twenty, and one of those was the first one on the five yard line was via punt. So three three of those were from kickoffs, and that's the one yard line, the three yard line, and the eleven yard line. That's that's unacceptable. Um, yeah, that was in one game. They did have one uh, kickoff where they started in Tulane's territory. But that was uh, that was Tulane's attempt to a sneak attack uh, onside kick. Rajon Davis also recovering that one because he did everything else in the game. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Um, so what? So this was uh, one yard line, three USC, yard line. USC did not start past the twenty five yard line on a kickoff. Put it that way. Yeah, except for the onside kick. Yeah, on, onside kicks the only time on a regular kickoff they did not start past the twenty five yard line. Which is yeah, where you yeah. automatically get the ball if it is uh, if it is downed, um, you know if it's a touchback or if you fair catch it. Yeah, I mean that's and again it's not hindsight. We've been saying this all year. I've been saying this all year. Like stop doing it. You're not good at it. And if you don't want to hire, and we can get in the special teams coach hiring thing. USC was bad with special teams. I had a special teamer from the the John Baxter era, you know, message me. And like this wouldn't happen if Baxter was there. I'm like, well, Baxter had his own problems too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, some of this stuff would be there'd be different issues. But um, man, there's just some stuff that looks like it would really help if you had someone that was like focused on special teams. So we'll see. Lincoln Riley kind of you know said he wasn't going to hire a special teams coordinator unless they change like the the rules. I, I'm not sure because after the game, 
when he was asked, um, we didn't get to ask a bunch of questions. It was very, you know, we couldn't shoot video of the final presser. It was all kind of controlled by the media staff there. Um, and there was only three questions for Lincoln Riley by reporters. But one of our colleagues did ask about, you know, the confidence and Alex Grinch and all that. So at least he got, got into that a little bit. But he had said that it's just, you know, 15 minutes after the game, uh, Lincoln Riley said this. And, you know, it's hard to make big picture assessments now, but they're going to sit down and do a deep dive over the next couple of weeks. And I was on Pac-12 radio this morning talking about it. And the, the guy Haberman was saying that it felt like he was more being dismissive. And, my, you know, my take on it was that I felt he was sort of shocked that you had this issue that you knew about with the tackling. And he and Lincoln Riley mentioned tackling in the in the postgame interview. And just being, uh, you know, get, just giving up huge plays on the defensive side of the ball. And I felt they were addressing that these last few weeks. And they were also addressing, do the players care? Are they motivated for this game? Lincoln Riley, I think from both sides, they were like, we're fixing this defensive stuff and we're motivated. I feel like the motivated stuff was true. Like, I think everyone wanted to be there. Everyone we talked to, like, they were heartbroken to lose this game. I didn't, didn't feel this was something they overlooked Tulane. But I feel I, it's almost my gut feeling shotgun was that Lincoln Riley was shocked that the defense was this bad and it was worse. It was, you know, in defense, you got to at least get some stops every once in a while. They weren't even putting up resistance. It wasn't like, you know, you talk about the tackling discrepancy. USC tackled poorly. Tulane tackled really well. And they had a lot of opportunities with all the plays USC run, ran and USC still was scoring like, but they were, they were making it hard on the USC offense to at least someone's got to make a great play. Brendan Rice going to make a great catch. Moss, two people, whatever it is. USC didn't make it hard on Tulane like, at all. And I feel like, I honestly feel like Lincoln Riley was, you know, upset and shocked. And his answer was very different. Uh, it was not a vote of confidence for Alex Grinch. It was very different than after the Pac-12 championship game where he had mentioned that guys were in the right place and they didn't make the play. To me, that's saying we need better players. So that when we put them in the right spot, they tackle a guy. That wasn't the case, uh, you know, in, in the Cotton Bowl. It wasn't the case in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. So I, I almost felt like Lincoln Riley was shocked. And pissed. And that's why he sort of kind of needed a minute to take it all in because he didn't expect the defense to be this bad because they had worked on it the last few weeks. I don't know what you think. I don't know how to interpret, uh, you know, his reaction to it necessarily. Uh, I think that's kind of diving in and trying to make an assumption that I don't not necessarily comfortable making, but he's got to be shocked at how bad they were. I mean, this was was atrocious to be honest i mean it just there were guys wide open running over the middle of the field um you know the the play calls didn't necessarily help out when you look at some of the touch like the long 87 yard touchdown and you drop uh cory foreman into coverage you've got um you got two receiving namora in coverage on the same side and you know cory foreman is covering an inside slot receiver basically running a slant route and you know it's not man-to-man coverage but it's his own and he dives and just misses it well then, the the defense. I mean, the receiver never gets touched after that. He ran, he turned, he got a field, and then he cut behind to receiving Amora, and he was gone. Like never got touched on that play. So there was no actual missed tackle on that play, but there was gaping holes in the middle of the defense at times that you know just were unacceptable. And you know it's it was kind of amazing when Rajon Davis came in, like immediately made an impact. 
and you're like, where's this been all season? Why is it? Why they had so many issues with their linebackers and they haven't given this guy a chance. And suddenly he's thrown in there and he makes a couple plays. Now he was also out of position on, you know, one of the touchdown drives, but uh, on, on one of the, the bigger plays on one of the touchdown drives, but that's going to happen because he hasn't played any. So it makes you wonder like what, what exactly was going on here? You know, they got, yeah. they didn't get much pass rush in this game, but that's also because there weren't a ton of passes. Uh, you know, they did have four sacks. They had, they had four sacks. They gave up eight completions. Yeah. Like how, <laughs> how do you not win a game when that happens? Like, unless you're playing a triple option team and they run for 500 yards on you, they were not playing a triple option team though. Tajay Spear tried to run for 500 yards. If he had more carries, he might've done that. I mean, this was his best game of the season. I believe as far as, you know, his yards per carry he had 12.1 yards per carry he ran for 205 yards. Michael Pratt ran for 103. Now you take out 20 because of sack yardage, but you know, he ran for 103 in this game as well. So you had two guys go over hundred yards against you. It was just, it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. Uh, they had no answers as well. Some of their big time players kind of were non-existent. You know, Tulu Tupelotu had the sack to start the, you know, that uh, that final drive. And that was really the only time you really remember hearing his name. Eric Gentry, you know, he got the tip on the, the touchdown the, to finish the game, but I don't really remember hearing his name very often in the game. Uh, Kalen Bullock, you know, you know, your big time players need to make some big time plays. And the only one that really st- stepped up was Makai Blackman. You know, he had a couple, I think one or two pass breakups. He also cr- caused the fumble. So he was, you know, he made tackles. He recovered well. it. So he did, he didn't recover it. Solomon Burr recovered it. Oh, um, they, they announced that he recovered it. Okay. So I mean, he did everything else besides recover it. So you know, he let somebody else jump on top of the ball. But, you know, you needed more guys to step up and make plays, and either they weren't in the right position or they just don't have enough playmakers right now. And it's a, it's a combination of both. And I've been saying throughout the season I feel like they need more depth for one because you saw the issues they've had, how, how much better they were at the beginning of the season before the linebacker injuries, and then how many issues they had in the linebacker core. So I said they needed to add more depth. But this schematically, uh, you know, yesterday just it, it makes it hard to be fully confident in this defense going forward if they just get some more bodies, some talented depth, um, which I thought would be the case if they got some more talented depth. I thought they would take a big step next season. But you saw a lot of schematic issues there, and maybe, hey, maybe we should just be giving Tulane all the credit in the world because of how well they just deciphered USC's defense over a month of, of preparation. But it, it was. It was just bad on the defense side. The USC's defense had no answers at all in this game, and you know they you need them to create those turnovers, and they created one. You thought, okay, I mean, I had a tweet set up for the end of the game. Okay, USC got the one turnover they needed and was able to hold on because that's what's been the case. The offense does its thing. If the defense can create one or two turnovers and just that extra possession, the offense is going to be able to outscore the opponent. That's been their their mo all season. And that one turnover wasn't enough because of the blunders that they had on special teams and, you know, some of the other things along the way. Yeah. Um, you, a couple of things. Yeah. Props to uh, Brendan Rice. And I, I mean, we didn't know who was going to step up when Jordan Addison wasn't going to be able to play in this game. There's been a lot of different guys. Sometimes they come in spurts, you know, like Kyron Hudson. Oh, he'll get a couple in a row or, you know, like a Kyle Ford will get a couple in a row. Rice was a consistent there until he was, he was out at the end of the game, but um, man, you know, just to, to have the kind of night that he had, uh, catching the football, if you, you know, targeted nine times, six catches, 174 yards, 
uh, 64 yards after catch. He had that 74 yarder and a couple of touchdowns. So um, props, uh, props to him. But one of the, the bigger issues is the defense was bad, right? We're going to get like half of our questions are about firing Alex Grinch. We'll get to, we'll get to these in a little bit, but when you have a guy like Rajon Davis, who comes in and is a highly ranked recruit from a local power high school, and we just haven't seen the field, and we got he answers questions about it during the year. The guy's not playing at all, and then he gets some run, and he does well. Like as soon as he gets into the game, now it just gives more fuel to the like, what the heck are they doing? Not only you stink on defense, but you're not playing like one of your better players. Um, yeah, and and you know to be fair, Nick Figueroa was uh, talking after the game, really uh, glowing review for Rajon Davis. Even you know Shane Lee, who I got to talk to for a little while, uh, really happy, lit up when you're talking about Rajon Davis. Even though they was basically replacing Shane Lee, who's coming back uh, for 2023, um, but I, I think that didn't help that he came in and played well, shotgun because it just made people more mad. Yeah, and and you know it's it's interesting that he's a guy that people have been clamoring for, and you know last season even more so. I thought he should have been in there because it was so bad last season. This season, the defense until the last month or so had been okay. Um, you know they've been good at times, and then the injuries hit, and they weren't as effective with the linebacker issues that they had. And then the last you know month or so, uh, they you know just giving up yards over and over and over outside of the Notre Dame game. You know, they had the power team. Notre Dame's going to run all over them, and they took pride, and they stuffed them. And you thought with Tulane coming in with a similar type of attack of wanting to really get downhill with the, with the running back that USC could have some success stopping them. But And Tajay Spears didn't do much in the first half, and then suddenly he's just ripping off 30-yard run after 30-yard run after 60-yard run. So, you know, those type of things where you bottle somebody up for a little bit and then suddenly, you, you know, just the the damn breaks is is very disappointing because you've shown that you are capable of being able to stop someone and then you can't figure out a way to to get it done the, the rest of the game. So I think people are uh, a little angered by Rajon Davis finally getting in and seeing him finally make an opp- you know, making the most of his opportunity. And where has he been all this other time? But he was fifth on the depth chart. There were four guys, and two of those guys transferred in front of him. Now, Tua Sivinamora played in this game. He played on special teams, and then he played two snaps, which was a touchdown drive. You know, it was a run and then that 87-yard completion that he got turned around on. And after that, they said, I guess they probably were on the sidelines like, if we're going to have somebody who just can't make a tackle, why not throw Rajon in there and get him some experience, see what he can do? And he made the most of it. And that's what you want your young guys to do. And that's what the wide receiver core has done all season. When guys have had their opportunity, they've stepped up and made the most of it. And you've seen that, I think, in the, in the DBs as well. You know, when Demaya Jackson gets thrown in there, I thought he's done well. Jacoby Covington uh, taking over for Sierra Wright. You know, I thought he played well the la- at the end of the season. And Latrell McCutcheon, I thought he was actually one of the players that played pretty well yesterday uh, in that nickelback spot. Um, but you know, they still have some issues with some of the older guys. So, you know, if, if the younger guys are playing well, then leave them in there and let them go. Um, so you know, when it's it's going to be curious. It's going to be interesting to see what this roster looks like next year. That linebacker battle is going to be fascinating. Uh, you know, and there's going to be interesting battles at the DB positions on the defensive line because they still got to bring in some more bodies. And, you know, no one should feel like their spot is solidified outside of Kalen Bullock probably Eric Gentry and maybe he's in a different position. I don't know. It depends on, you know, how they feel about the other linebackers, 
and then Tulutu Pelotu if he returns. You know, those are the three only three guys that I'd be like, okay, those guys have their spot. We'll see what everybody else does. The rest of them, it should be up in the air and should be, you know, fascinating battles because no one's really proven that they are that guy. Yeah. Uh, well, we got a lot of questions and stuff to get to. So why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and uh, we'll just start answering questions. We'll get more thoughts uh, as we think of things. I, you know, it's it's hard. There's so many things that we want to get to. And uh, we'll ju- we'll answer some of the questions and hopefully more thoughts come to us. And we'll keep talking about this uh, horrific collapse from USC and the Cotton Bowl. I don't know how else to describe it. But back in a minute. <laughs> Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. We're joined along by uh, Shotgun Spratling. Um, Let's see. This was uh, an email from Stephen Poway. Um, What do you think it would take for Lincoln Riley to hire a special teams coach? The special teams play has been absolutely horrible this year steve and poway fight on in 2023 so the interesting thing is what does hiring a special teams coach do for for lincoln riley because he has a special teams coach ryan uh uh, doherty i don't know i I never know how to spell when it's d-a-u-g-h-t-e-r-y it could be any it could be spelled or pronounced in three different ways yeah Uh, i'm not sure either so ryan doherty uh, i believe is how you say it has been the guy who's been led the special teams all season. You know, he's a guy that came with Lincoln from Oklahoma. So if he hired, he, he could give him a title and still have the same results. Now, do you go out somewhere else and get someone? Now, that's something that, that could happen this offseason. Um, but is he going to put him on staff as an actual coach? Uh, you know, or is it going to be uh, similar to, to Darty being, uh, I can't think of the actual title of his position right now, but you know, an analyst or whatever it may be that, that can help out the, the on-field staff that that's allowed to assist with a graduate assistant or whatever it may be. Um, you know, how, how much does it change by giving someone a title versus, you know, are they going to go out and actually hire someone separate? That's the big question. And, you know, I, I think Lincoln Riley's loyalty is going to be tested this off season, whether it be Alex Grinch, whether it be uh, Doherty, whether it be someone else, uh, you know, that's going to be an interesting to see if there are any changes that are made or if they feel like if we just get some more talent, we just get some more bodies, then we'll be successful. But it's not just the kickoff return. Um, you know, I think we have confidence that Dennis Litch can make some long field goals. He was a little bit inconsistent this season. I think he'll get better as the season progresses. 
but it was also the the kickoff coverage. I mean, the last four kickoffs, Tulane returned to the 35, the 31, the 37, the 34. So they're getting an extra eight to 10 yards on every drive when you're covering the kickoffs. Now, they didn't have an explosive one, and maybe you feel comfortable with that. I don't know. Um, but, you know, just overall, there were a lot of things that could have been better. Um, you know, if you read Chris Chris's Ghost Notes game day, their punter missed the net while punting on the sideline. <laughs> now they're they've got another punter coming in, Michael Slabliski, uh coming in from Arizona State, and he's an All Pac-12 guy, so that should help there. But like, there's got to be some upgrades on the on the special team side for sure. Yeah, um, Jordan and Costa Mesa texted in same thing about special teams coordinator, but also how many times has Mario Williams been back there for kickoff returns? I don't believe it was many. So why do we think the change was made? I think he might have started back there. I don't. I don't remember. Do you? So if I'm remembering correctly, and I would have to go through all my uh, participation sheets, but originally this season he was the secondary guy beside uh, Gary Bryant Jr. And then when Gary Bryant Jr. decided to redshirt, then Mario moved up. I think was the primary guy for a little bit, and then um, or for maybe maybe he stayed at secondary and relief Brown. But he was he was back there as a returner for early in the season. However, I. After he got injured, then he wasn't back there. So it was kind of a surprise to see him suddenly back there in that type of situation. Yeah. Uh, and you had mentioned um, Dennis Lynch, uh, who I got to talk to uh, at the media day for a little bit. He actually talked about um, – we didn't get a chance to put this interview up because we just had so many interviews to do. But uh, he had talked about kicking in a, you know indoors. This was the second time he'd done it. The last time was against uh, Utah and Allegiant Stadium. So uh, – feels like you know it can help because you know they don't have any wind or anything like that uh our buddy eddie and orange uh had a few drinks and called in but his question he has a question about uh lynch at the end so i'll play it for you i know this is for chris chris is on the road but uh, i'll play this one for you shotgun and get your thoughts hey it's 1 30 a.m on new year's day your boy eddie and orange a little inebriated um but want to let everybody know that 2023 is going to be a great year. USC is going to win 15 games in this calendar year, starting with the Cotton Bowl. Um, if you play this after the Cotton Bowl and we lose, uh, disregard that and make it 14. Also, Ryan and uh, Chris are the best. Chris deserves a raise. Ryan, I think you should tell the the uh, the peeps at the big eye to give him a raise. He's awesome. Um, I'm a little drunk. But, uh, Ryan, quick question, your thoughts. Uh, better radio host, oh. Colin Cowherd or Kevin Amin? That's my question. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, my apologies. I thought this one had the uh, the uh, um, kicker question, and it's the other voicemail <laughs> we have. But he said it was uh, Colin Cowherd or was it Kevin and Bean? Is that what he's talking about? I'm not sure. I don't listen okay. to the video, so. Eddie, uh, yeah, Eddie, nice. Um, well, sorry, you get, get to 15 now, Eddie. Sorry for that. Calendar <laughs> year. He's basically Our, saying that we're going to go undefeated and be, uh, you know, be going to the national championship with a chance to win one into 2024 right. next year. Um, but that's not going to happen. Uh, but they can still go undefeated next year. But they got a lot of things to clean up. Uh, going circling back to the Mario Williams, he had two returns on the season for seven yards total. Uh, which is 
pretty much terrible. Um, now, maybe one of those was an onside kick or something. I don't remember off the top of my head. He was in the starting lineup as a returner, as the secondary returner, starting uh, starting the season and then through the Utah game. And then after that, he was not back there. Now, he may have come in at, at some point as a, as a reserve. I, I just track who starts at the spots. Because you remember Brendan Rice started um, – at the, as the primary kick returner, and then Gary Bryant took over, and then after that, Rice went back, and then Taj Washington went in for uh, Mario Williams. So you know, it's kind of been they've been searching for someone that can be explosive. They put Relique Brown back there, and you know they just haven't got those big returns that they were looking for, even though they have explosive playmakers. So that tells me that it's more so what's happening in front of the guys that are returning the ball that is an issue. But Mario Williams. You know, it hasn't started as a kick returner since the Utah, the first Utah game. Okay. All right. And this is the question that has uh, the, the Dennis Litch part in it. Here we go. Oh, I tell you what, it's been a while since I've had to hit this hotline because it's been a while since I've been this disappointed in USC. Um, and it's been a while since we've seen a loss like this, one that I think you got to put on the coaches. Blame has to go on them to blow a 15-point lead with four minutes. That's difficult to try to do. Um, but I want to ask about something that's probably different than a lot of people. I want to ask about the kicker. Uh, Ryan, break down for me. How how do how does a kicker end up at USC? What's the process? Uh, I know it's not a scholarship position, but it's just devastating to have a kicker that misses kicks short. And Lynch has done that consistently. And I'm trying to figure out how USC ends up with the kicker when Ryan, you could walk down to Redondo Union and find somebody who may not be able to consistently put it between the posts, but when you're missing short, you don't even have a chance. Talk to me. Um, so, unfortunately, when you miss short on a 52-yard field goal, when you know someone like Dennis Lynch has the leg, it comes back down to the technique and the fundamentals. And you try to get too much on the ball, you get under the ball, all those type of things, and you just don't, you know, hit the ball cleanly, stay down through it, all those type of things. And that's what I think happened on that Lynch kick right there. He was, he was, couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe that it came up short because he knows he has the leg. He's probably got the leg out to, you know, 58 to 60 to be able to kick it. Now, how consistent he is there? That's a much different question. But, you know, he finishes the season 15 to 22. I think it's a pretty solid season for a freshman. You got to clean up more, more concerning than that 52 yarder that he missed and it being a yard short is, the 30 to 39 yard attempts this season. He was four of nine on those. He was perfect eight of eight on 40 yard field goals, 40 to 49. But the the 30 to 39 is where he missed uh, too many of them there. So, you know, the fact that Lincoln Riley ran him out there for a 52 yarder and the fact he's run him out there for some other long ones this season, I think tells you that they have confidence in his leg. But you got to focus on the techniques and really hone in on that. And that's, again, comes back to the coaching of that position. Yeah, and the fact that he took the job over um, when you know Alex Dadhouse goes in the transfer portal and comes back and they give him a scholarship and Dennis Lynch beats him out for the field goal kicking duties like that's uh, I mean it, it shows that they have a lot of confidence in him so I thought that was interesting as well but um, yeah thanks for the voicemail questions we got a lot of uh, a lot of special teams talk which is kind of cool. Um, Ray wrote in, he had an email, shock, not really, no defense, just a bunch of third-rate players. I'm tired of watching you people. Better not go to the Big Ten. You're, spelled wrong, going to get your asses kicker on a weekly basis. Bases. Um, 
no more USC football for me. You showed me the error of my was. So <laughs> I don't know what Ray was. Maybe Ray and Eddie were drinking together and Ray wrote in. Good I'm not man. sure. Good man. Yeah. Thanks for the thanks for the email. Uh, sorry that you won't be around for to enjoy <laughs> USC football going forward. I think there was definitely um, there. You know, Oklahoma. There are fans of other programs that just they don't like USC. Don't like that they're leaving and they want to see USC lose. And so maybe that was the case like that. I don't know. Oh, there's plenty of plenty of uh, haters out there, and that's what happens when USC is working their way back towards being on the top. You know, there weren't a ton of haters for Clay Helton last year. Uh, you know, from other programs and whatnot uh, throughout the season. But you know, when you steal Oklahoma's coach, all right, now you're going to have Oklahoma haters. Now, when you, you're leaving a conference, now you got a bunch of other haters. And you know, Utah's they got a lot of salty fans as well. Um, they want to point out everything about Caleb Williams and jump in everything. There was a lot of um, complaining about Caleb Williams didn't do any media. Why did you not talk to the media after this game? And I just sent them the link to, uh, to your video from interviewing Caleb Williams. And they're like, oh, well, I saw other messages that said he didn't. <laughs> okay. I don't, okay. <laughs> Congratulations. I don't know what to say. So, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, we said this after the Oregon State game, but the fact that the atmosphere in Corvallis, the atmosphere in Salt Lake City were what they were, tells you that USC is back on the right path. The vitriol that was being spewed at USC throughout the season and in some of those away games, and what you're seeing, the people making fun of USC when they lose a game. I think that's a positive sign that USC is back on the right track. Now, they got a lot of things to clean up, but let's try to also remember the big picture here of USC was 4-8 and eight last year. Yes, is it disappointing the way they've lost the last two games of the season? The three, All three losses are disappointing in different ways, but it's disappointing because they were 11-1. and one. They had such a great opportunity to potentially get in the college football playoff, and then who knows what happens in a college football playoff game because we saw the craziness that happened the other night in those two games. It was great, great theater. But when you lose those two games, people are going to remember those two. You're going to remember what happens at the end of a game. You're going to remember what happens at the end of a season. But let's keep in mind, USC was 11-1. and one. They're on the right path. Now they've got to clean a bunch of stuff up to be able to be a college football playoff team. I said earlier in the year, they weren't ready for the college football playoff spotlight, and people got very upset about it. But I think I was correct in that regard because they don't have the depth yet at certain positions to where someone's having a bad day, if someone's struggling, if it's not a great matchup for somebody, do you have someone else you can put in there? Can you rotate bodies to keep guys fresh? I mean, Tuli Tubaloto, I think it was a Notre Dame game, basically didn't come off the field. Now, you want your All-American to be on the field all the time as much as possible, but you also have to rotate when you're, you're going up against a physical running attack and you're, you, know, you want elite pass rush at the same time. So you know, those are the type of things that they don't have the luxury of right now. And so those, there's a lot of things that still have to be done. But you got to also keep in mind that you know USC is going to be ranked in the top 20. Uh, how far do they fall from being number eight coming into the, the game in the AP poll? Probably top 15. So to say they're in top 15 after being four and eight last season, I think most USC fans would have taken that before the season. I, w- I would have been surprised that they are, you know, going into the season, we talked about the numbers of wins that we expected and we thought 10 and two is possible. That'd be a hell of a season for them. They surpassed that. And then they get to the, the championship game. Caleb gets hurt and all those type of things. And now people are you know very upset at the way the season went. But if you think back to where you were, what you were thinking the team could do in August, you might be thinking something else. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Let's go to, let's see. We got John in Oakland. He said, would you agree that USC's defense has not improved through the season and it's repeated embarrassment performance? It's a clear indication that the coaching staff on the defensive side is incapable of developing talent. The talent is there. Uh, the talent that is there is successful in spite of poor defensive coaching leadership and less than competent defensive coordinator. Top high school uh, defensive recruits have no interest in USC last year or this year. USC is going to get murdered in the Big Ten if Alex Grinch is still the defensive coordinator. Firing him after the season only means they'll begin Big Ten conference play with a whole new D.C. and system. It would seem smart to make the change now. Um, if athletic director Mike Bone and President Carol Fold are willing to pay $10 million a year for Lincoln Riley, shouldn't they be open to hiring a top defensive coordinator mine for $5 million a year after spending another few million dollars to secure a solid group of defensive assistant coaches? Fight on John in Oakland. And just real quick, you've seen people hire a good defensive coordinator and things change instantly. This isn't like you have to hire a defensive coordinator. It's going to be better four years later. Um, but any thoughts on that? He wants he wants it to happen now and not later, Kashadi. Do you get a five million dollar coordinator too? Goodness, that would be uh, that would Ooh. be nice. There were some rumors that Jim Harbaugh could get like twenty million from the Denver Broncos, <laughs> or Sean Payton would get more than twenty. I see Sean Payton walking around Manhattan Beach. The dude's gonna make more than twenty million a year. That's a that's insane if he, if they do that. But but yeah, they, I mean I don't know. Maybe the the salaries keep going up, and we don't know that Lincoln Riley is making ten million a year. We assume. It's in that ballpark, but I've somebody just re- making ten million. What'd you say? I've been told he's making ten million. Yeah, but so. like there was some report. We don't know for sure. There was some report at the beginning that said, "Oh, you got this hot." Like all this stuff. I don't think a lot of that stuff was true, but um, the the salary been, I think is competitive with what. Separately, I've been told that he's yeah. You know, the going rate is for a great coach is like ten million. He's in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah, so ten for a hundred was what I was told initially, and obviously there's a lot more perks that go with the, you know, in the contract and whatnot, and there's bonuses and all those type of things. Um, but five million for coordinators is an absurd amount of money um, in college football. You know that just two or three years ago it was like they they were paying a coordinator a million dollars. Goodness. Um, so I, I don't know that that USC is going to pay five million, but also it's also it's always convenient for all fans to just spend everyone else's money. Like where where does the money come from? Like someone's got to pay that money, right? Um, but the back to the original question was, did this defense get better as the season progressed? And I think the the you would look at it and say, no, they didn't. They weren't got way worse in, improving. <laughs> and so then the question becomes, why were they getting worse as the season progressed? Was it? And there's multiple ways that could potentially be the 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 answer. I don't know what the exact answer is. Probably a mix of all of these things. But one. Okay, uh, the teams you're playing in conference get tape on you, and so now suddenly they're attacking your weaknesses much more prevalently, uh, much more frequently than you know in, in early in the season. How many times did Stanford throw at Makai Blackman? Did any other team the rest of the season throw that much at Makai Blackman? No. No, they said let's attack their weaknesses, and you saw Max Williams get attacked over and over and over. Because there were gaps early in the season, I, I mentioned this early in the season that you know that there were issues in the middle of the field that they weren't able to, you know, that they were struggling with, and after teams got some tape on that, you know, they started attacking the the safeties much more. They started attacking those linebackers in the middle of the field. That was where the weakness in this USC defense was. So that's where you start started seeing teams attack much more. So that plays into it. You know, when when teams get tape. On a new coordinator coming into a new conference, it takes a little bit of time for an adjust. A lot of times it's that second year where there can be a difference there. And it makes you wonder about 
how our defense is going to adjust to USC's offense next year. Will it be a uh, you know adjustment period where they are suddenly playing USC's offense much better? Uh, that'll be to be determined. So that's part of it. But also the attrition that USC suffered, you know, when you lose Romello Height early in the season, they just never got a bunch of production from that position, that rush-in position. And that's a very critical position in this Alex Grinch defense is to be able to create that pressure consistently off the edge. And they just were never able to do it, which is why you saw Solomon Bird had a really nice uh, Stanford game. But you saw a couple weeks later, he was replaced by Nick Figueroa. And Nick Figueroa had some flashes, had five and a half sacks but wasn't the consistency there. And Corey Foreman never showed that consistency there. There were some flashes. So that's one of the things where you start saying, okay, you lose Romello height, then you lose the linebackers in the middle, each of them having different injuries. So I, I think that there's, there's some concerns there that the depth, you know, you, you got to have depth because you, know, you look at Georgia in the championship game, they lose Darnell Washington, they lose, um, you know, they lose Lab McConkey, their top receiver. Like, and they just had guys fill in. And USC showed at certain positions they had that a wide receiver, obviously, guys stepped up. Not necessarily the case at linebacker. And, you know, that's why you had Shane Lee and Raylan Goforth out there each playing with casts on. You, you had Eric Gentry, who said this week that he was nowhere close to 100%. You know, and people didn't realize how bad it was. It's like, I, I think we realized, we saw how much he was limping around those last couple of games where he tried to play. Um, but, you know, can you give that guy that extra week off of rest because you have a quality backup that you can put in there? And that was something that I, I think that they struggled to, to be able to do. So I think that played into it. When they had a couple injuries, they just weren't the same. Um, but I, I think the, the other teams figured them out a little bit as well. Uh, they've got There's a lot of things that need to be fixed on the defensive side, but, you know, there's no one simple fix, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, we got other – like – Marcel from the IE said, can we please tackle something that has to be done? DC has to go. Uh, dejected Dave in West LA. He was just, you know, he wants him gone. He says uh, he should be let go immediately. Tarmac levels at LAX. Um, and he wants, he wanted us to give like reasons for keeping him versus firing him or which defensive coaches you were replaced. We're not going to go through all that kind of stuff. Um, and Josh in uh, North Edwards, which is a uh, small town in Kern County. Uh, he says, uh, I feel like ranting, but I don't want to take all your time. Kind of feels like the rebuild of USC football will be incomplete without a complete overhaul of the defense and at least some attention to special teams. Lincoln Riley needs a defense that complements his offense. He will never be as great as he can if he keeps on uh, fielding awful defenses. As much as I agree with a lot of Trojan fans that um, AG, AG needs to go, uh, Alex Grinch, he's talking like AG, okay, <laughs> like initials. Alex Grinch needs to go. The reality of the situation is Lincoln Riley isn't going to fire him. What does AG need to change? So at least next year's defense is less awful. I love what you guys do. Keep up, um, keep up the good work. And to be fair, Josh, there was a complete overhaul of the defense. When you bring in Alex Grinch, they overhauled a really terrible defense uh, from last year. It's a different looking defense, but it's an also an, you know, I don't know. Equal? Would you say equally terrible defense this year? It's pretty bad. Um, I mean, until the last couple games, you'd be like, "Well, this defense is much improved from where they were last year." But now yeah. the the stats are looking, you know, very twenty twenty one esque, unfortunately for USC and USC fans. So, uh, and you know, if that that were to happen the first couple of games of the season and they got better, you would feel much more confident about it. But you wonder where is USC going right now? Are they moving forward or are they moving backward? And that's something they got to figure out. 
um, going forward uh, with this with this coaching staff. I would not have thought before yesterday's game that there was any way that Alex Grinch was going to be fired. Um, I would be I would think it's much more of a possibility now, at least. And I, I think part of it is the way that Lincoln answered those questions, and it was a little bit different than the way he'd answered them previously. But just overall, the defense wasn't good enough. Uh, you know, they're they just they gave up 100. They gave up 310 first downs. That's 125th in the nation out of 131 teams. Like you know, those type stats. USC should never be in the hundreds in anything. No. And they're uh, in the hundreds in several uh, different uh, you know uh, defensive categories. Passing yards allowed. Passing yards. Um, passing yards per no, not per completion. Passing yards allowed. First downs offense, fewest penalty yards, fewest penalties. These are not necessarily just the defense, but fourth down conversion percentage on the defense, third down conversion percentage on the defense, team passing efficiency defense, total defense. All those are in the hundreds for USC. Their ranks in the nation out of 131 teams. So you're in the bottom third at best, and you know it's just that's not acceptable at USC. Now it's the first year. Can they get better? That's the big question, and that's the that's the question that Lincoln Riley is going to have to answer when he puts his head to sleep at night. Can this team be better next year? Bringing in Tackett Curtis, bringing in some other pieces, and how quickly can you get some of those pieces? Are, are they ready to contribute? Mason Cobb coming in. Is it just the linebackers? If they get the linebacker situation fixed, does that change everything? You know, because a lot of a lot of the stuff flows from the middle of the field. That was where all the stuff, the issues with this defense were for me was that when teams ran the ball, they ran the ball up the middle of the field and and people were out of their gaps, were not in the, the right place. And when people threw the ball, they could throw the ball over the middle to the tight ends, particularly as much as they wanted. Yeah, uh, it was it was bad. I wonder what the record is for yards per completion in like a bowl game. Um, <laughs> I would I would venture to say it was better than 30 yards just because I feel like they were a Nebraska team probably threw it two times back in the well, day. I would say like minimum five completions or something like you have to, you know, like like you do punters or something like it's not it can't be just like you have three passes. I mean, eight's not that many, but just say like five. Like if you complete five passes, what's the record for uh, yards per completion? Um, hell, in college football, like let alone bowl games. I don't know. I mean, I I've, I don't ever see anything like that. Have you seen like thirty yards per completion? Like, yes, I, I I grew up in Georgia, and Georgia Tech ran the triple option with Calvin Johnson as one of their wide receivers. So, but would he would it be when they did throw the ball? He caught. He, it was for a lot of yards. Would they go for like over 200 yards passing in a game? Like that's the thing. Like, like you had there was 234 yards passing, and the 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 average was still over like almost 30, like crazy. Um, it's bad though. You're right. Like you can't be USC statistically was so bad last year, and it didn't start off that way this year, but it is now. Um, we had one last one, Marcus and Moco. Same thing about defensive coordinator, blah blah blah. But, um. He also was saying, what about Riley's woeful play calling when we were backed up at our own end zone? Like, I don't know, like handing the ball off at your own one is not a, a fireable offense. I mean, I, I, we've that's probably the like 75% of plays are run. Like, that's probably what you're running. Um, but I again, I'm not someone who's going to be critical of Lincoln Riley's play calling when they never punted. So <laughs> it's just, I don't know what to say, but that's that was a thing. I mean, I would not have minded, uh, you know, them running a quarterback sneak. I mean, that, that's maybe an option. Um, but 
you know, there's not a ton of things that you're like, oh, they definitely should have done this. I mean, it's a bad situation. Now, they've thrown out of that situation in the past. They did it at Utah, if you remember. I think they were on the two- or three-yard line, though. But they, you know, went and thrown because they had confidence. This was when they had Jordan Addison that Jordan Addison is going to win a one-on-one matchup on the outside. We can get it out to him quick, and we'll be out of the, the shadow of the goal line. And maybe they didn't feel comfortable. But, it, I mean, it goes back to who's in the game, the timing of the game, all those type things. Uh, so, you know, I think that all played into it. And, Ryan, I, I wanted to correct myself. I was saying Calvin Johnson. That was right before Paul Johnson got to Georgia Tech. Demarius Thomas, though, at Georgia oh. Tech, averaged 25 yards a catch uh, one season. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, Not, you know, that, that when they did throw the ball, they were going for big plays, and they were getting them. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, any final thoughts, Shoddy? This was fun to do a, a podcast with you. Um, we wanted to get some, something up after uh, – you know, a new podcast for the new year, but also just something up after the game. Like I said, I right after the game, pretty much, I got dinner and then I went to the airport and flew back. And you know, it was like one in the morning or something by the time I got home. So, try to do one today just to to kind of break things down. And and we'll do another Harvey Hyde podcast this week, and uh, we'll see what the podcast schedule is going forward. But uh, um, we'll we'll keep doing them. Obviously, it's just going to be a little bit different because we don't have practices and, and games to cover and things like that. But any any kind of final thoughts before we let you go. Uh, you know, it's it's always disappointing to see the seniors leave, and especially for them to leave on a you know a sour note like the last two games were. Especially some of those guys that you know we were able to develop relationships with over the years, whether it be the offensive lineman Brett Elon, Andrew Voorhees, whether it be you know Nick Figueroa on the defensive side. Um, so you know, just give a shout out to all those, those seniors that have been through a lot during their USC tenure, and you just wish that it would have ended in a better way for them. Um, you know, I don't really care who wins or loses. That's not my job. That's not my prerogative. But I care about people. And when you get you meet people and you 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 learn about them and you tell their stories and to see them go out in a in a heartbreaking fashion like that is kind of disappointing. I did think it was interesting, Ryan. I want to get your thoughts on this real quick. Yeah. I don't believe, you know, I was not in Texas with you guys, but I don't believe Jordan Addison or Andrew Voorhees was there. So those are the two guys that opted out to to focus on their rehab before uh, you know before the injuries uh, or to due to the injuries before the draft, and Lincoln Riley did not bring them on the trip. I thought that was interesting that you know basically said hey if you're going to opt out and hey we have no problem with it we think it's you know that's it's understandable that you're doing that it's probably the the conversation that was had, but we're not going to bring you on the trip. So you either, you either play or you don't come on the trip. But guys like Gary Bryant, it was the first time he had traveled. Um, you know, since the Stanford game. So I thought it was interesting, the dichotomy of, of, of Gary Bryant traveling and the the things we're hearing about him potentially staying in the program versus Andrew Voorhees and Jordan Addison not being on the travel roster. Yeah, that's interesting. And we, you know, even from warmups, when Chris was down there on the field, it sounded like maybe you see a little uh, Gary Bryant Jr. They changed the rule, right? Like he could have Played. Well, he, he had only played in three games anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. But also, yeah, they they changed the rule to where this season, where the bowl game did not count towards your uh, potential four games for a redshirt thing. So uh, there was no one that was actually on that cusp of actually playing in four games that it would have mattered anyways. But Gary Bryant could have played one way or another. So I, I was wondering if we'd see him in there, but we did not. Yeah, I thought we might see him. And, you know, I don't know if it would be uh, was Lincoln Riley saying that you guys aren't going to travel or was the players that decided not to travel and just work on uh, their injuries. I mean, I, we don't know the details of that. Like you said, we didn't really get a lot of opportunity to speak with Lincoln Riley about this. Uh, probably the next time will be for 
uh, the you know regular traditional signing period. If they do some kind of event, then maybe we can ask them some questions that are non-recruiting related about the team. You know, but by then, you know, we'll see. So we'll see what we can find out between now and then. But yeah, I did think that was interesting, and um, you know, and just in general. I know that a lot of fans are upset. I think it's a good thing. Like you mentioned, if if opposing fans are trolling, it, it's because you matter again. It's because you're nationally relevant. And I think if you look at the big picture, USC was not nationally relevant for several years. And they are now. They were in the playoff discussion. They won the Heisman Trophy. You have uh, multiple All-Americans. You played for the Pac-12 Championship. You went, played in New Year's Six Bowl. Didn't go exactly the way you want, but I think... The step one, when you're talking about a rebuild, is to go from nationally irrelevant to nationally relevant very quickly in one year. I think just that alone is a success. So I get it. I think fans are just so used to being hypercritical about everything that goes on. I don't people are writing in about complaining about Lincoln Riley's play calling. It's like his dude won the Heisman, you know, like I, he, I think he's pretty good at play calling. Like I, I, that's not what I'd be worried about, but I feel like there's just the condition that the USC fan is conditioned to just bitch. If you want to, for a lack of a better term, and there's reasons to bitch. There are, uh, the defense is bad. The special teams are really bad, but I think big picture, you, you kind of have to give some benefit of the doubt where you didn't have to, for like the previous staff because they made a lot of mistakes and they kept doing the same things over and over again. It's year one and there's a lot and USC was in disarray. The athletic department, everything like all that stuff is kind of getting fixed. And, you know, when we talked to like Brandon Sosna and Mike bone and, you know, why weren't they firing Clay Helton right away? Some of it was just trying to fix what's going on in the athletic department. So when you do get a good coach, they have a better, you know, it's a, a softer nest to, to lay in and, and try to grow this program. And, um, but there's still a lot of problems <laughs> around the whole, you know, the athletic department and everything. And they're, I, I think they're being worked on. And I think Lincoln Riley's the right guy to, to fix this stuff. The people are being critical. I, I mean, did you write, you can be critical if you want, but man, if he left tomorrow, like, where would this team be? If, you know, like if Caleb Williams wasn't on this team, where would you be? I feel like there's, there's a lot to be hopeful for. And it's not just being a sunshine pumper, just saying like, looking at the big picture stuff. I get it. There's there's stuff that you can complain about, but don't don't let that overshadow how far this team has come. To go from irrelevant to relevant, you know, nationally relevant, being talked about on uh, game day every week, that's that's an accomplishment in itself. And I think sometimes some of the fans are are missing that. I think they are, but also you have a generational quarterback, and you don't want to waste that. So right. they need to make changes, uh, you know, whether it's just personnel, whether it's coaching staff, whatever it is, there needs to be changes going in next year so that they can put a better product on the defensive side so they do not waste the fact that they have Caleb Williams uh, at USC. And, uh, you know, they got to put those pieces together because I, I think the college football playoff is wide open next year. Um, you know, Georgia's losing Stetson Bennett. Maybe that is better for them, or I don't know. We'll see how they're losing some more pieces on the defensive side. They'll reload. Alabama's losing Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud is le- leaving Ohio State. So a lot of schools that are going to have to be putting in a new quarterback, and that's usually the you know the biggest factor. And you look at TCU's the same thing. So and M- Michigan may lose Jim Harbaugh. So there are a lot of changes coming with teams that were in that college football playoff mix there this season. So we'll see. 
if it's if it ends up being kind of wide open going into next season and USC has an opportunity, but they got to make the the appropriate adjustments on the defensive side on the special teams to be able to keep up with how good their offense is, or it's going to quickly become and it's already kind of his reputation, but you know Lincoln Riley's got the reputation for having a great offense and not much else, and that's led to him getting to the college football playoff. But can he have success going forward? His legacy and all that type of stuff. A lot of people were mentioning that. And let's, it's after the, the Cotton Bowl against Tulane that people are mentioning his legacy. But um, those things going forward will be determined. And, you know, sometimes that takes the tough decisions and, you know, being able to find the right recruits and all those type of things that will have to go into it. So we'll see what changes evolve in this offseason. It'll be another fascinating offseason. It always is. But especially the next month and a half or however long it is until the next signing day and you know that transfer window and when it closes and all that type of stuff and we'll see if there's any usc players that are entering the transfer portal and you know now that the season is any more usc players entering the transfer portal now that the season's over uh so there's a lot of, a lot of changes could still be coming and we'll see what it looks like going forward but you would like to see usc be able to pick up a couple more impact recruits and be able to make some adjustments on the defensive side that really put them in a better position to be that that true college football playoff uh contender and even national championship contender next season yeah i think you definitely want to see that they got to make changes i'm not saying that just keep everything the way it is for sure and i and the main point to take away there is that you don't want to waste caleb williams because i'm not sure that fans realize like how special he is like the most talented player i've ever seen at usc um you know he's the most talented player in the country well, the heisman did you, did you say most talented player you've ever seen at usc i mean i mean reggie's awesome quarterback, but he's yeah like reggie's amazing but like holy cow like the, what you can do like i mean just you're, it's a more important position um he would he was he would not be off the field uh at the end of a national championship game i could <laughs> so Strong uh, take, but, Ryan Abraham. Yeah, no, but that I he's 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 a once a generation kind of guy, and uh, you like you said, you don't want to waste him. You don't want to, not that you know, winning eleven games and the Heisman is wasting him, but you have an opportunity to go to and win playoff games. USC was four and eight. Like if you're going to complain about uh, didn't win in the playoffs, like I still think you want to make it to the playoff. USC's never made a playoff. That would be an accomplishment. It would have been this year. It will be in 2023. If they lose in the first round, I still think that's an accomplishment. Um, but you don't want to waste this opportunity you have with a guy like Caleb Williams. All right. Well, Shadi, thanks again for coming on and everyone out there in uh, podcasting land. Thank you so much for tuning in. We did not do a simulcast on this one, so we'll uh, we'll probably get back to that when Chris gets back in town. We'll get Shadi on. We'll do some tunnel visions. We'll have a lot of fun with all this stuff. But for Shotgun Spratling, I am Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.